In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listen to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. And we are watching network television because me and Nathan don't watch network television. We are watching <laughs> as a pinch hitter because <laughs> <laughs> we're out of the blacklist episodes. So I've thrown in here season one, episode one of The Lone Gunman, which aired in 2001. <laughs> a second show we have The Mentalist, season two, which first aired in 2009. And we have our third show, season two of Miami Vice, which first aired in 1985. And as never before, we start with The Lone Gunman, season one, episode one, merely called Pilot, which could have multiple meetings. Yeah, it's, you never know. It's always multidimensional with this show. Original air date, May 4th, 2001, Fox Sunday. That is very important. <laughs> yes. Remember that date, folks. <laughs> uh, the lone gunman investigate the suspicious death of Byer's father, a top-tier government agent, and discover a top-secret plan for a false flag operation to crash a plane into the World Trade Center. <laughs> Showrunner Vince Gilligan, uh, who you may know from Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul. So it's hard to pick up like who's the actual showrunner because here it basically has like Chris Carner, Vince Gilligan, John Shaban, and Frank Spotnitz, like all as like created by credits yeah like looking through things it seems like vince gilligan was kind of like in charge of this because but that could be like a bias because you know i'm assuming at this time chris carter was busy so he kind of just slapped his name on it and trusted the people working on it yeah so i doubt he, you know he's an executive producer created by it, but i doubt he's doing much with the show but nowadays like uh, the you hear people like interview vince gilligan about the show they don't interview the other guys because they're not you know chris carter is kind of gone the wayside i don't know what he's doing anymore uh the other guys are kind of just like producers on other shows they're not like showrunners like vince gilligan is so i think just through a bias and years like i i'm just calling vince gilligan the showrunner here it's not that important but it's, it's a thing to think about yeah um this episode is written by chris carter vince gilligan john shaban and frank Spotnitz all together all ampersands okay and it was directed by rob bowman who also did he did like the Reign of Fire movie. He did the X Files movie. Okay. <laughs> so he's directed a lot of TV and uh, movies. So. Yeah, and tons of like he did directed like ninety episodes of the X Files. So. Okay. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. If people don't know, this is a spinoff from the X Files. Yeah, this was like uh, the, yeah, the X Files uh, split into like three directions because you had the X Files, Millennium, and this. Yeah. And the X-Files was kind of a combination of aliens, supernatural, and technical crime, techno crime. Yeah. And Millennium was like just like the devil. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah. purely supernatural. And then, uh, which actually, and yeah, and some of those are really great too. 
And then this one was like all like technological crime and like modern conspiracy theories, but it never really and, blossomed well, and, into. And, and, and it's a comedy. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. But it's it's more intended to be a comedy re- rather than the X Files and Millennium. Hey, I think Millennium was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it had some really funny episodes. Uh, I had some really. I think Millennium gives X Files a run for its money in memorable episodes. Like, yeah, yeah. There's stuff that like they did a whole like screw tape letters episode once and yeah. it was like, oh, this is amazing. But yeah, this this is actually one that I totally missed because of the time frame. That's when I was working constantly, like six, seven yeah. days a week. So I didn't watch, you know, I wasn't watching um, anything, even though something this was something I would be interested in. So I like the X-Files. Yeah. I just never really caught this. Well, I mean, it's like Sunday nights. So I don't know if you remember what your Sunday nights were. So, Sleeping. But. Yeah, getting ready for Monday. <laughs> I haven't seen this since it premiered. I did see the premiere, and then I thought, okay, we're, this is interesting. And then what I was disappointed by was the second episode, which introduces the character of Jimmy Bond, and it becomes much more of a comedy. And I remember hating Jimmy Bond, although I've heard stuff like, "Oh, you should see his character arc," because the last thing I know of the of the Lone Gunman is they they the series finishes up and they bring him back in an episode of the X-Files and they kill them all off. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't actually see the episode. All I remember is Jimmy Bond standing over their graves. And I'm like, oh, they killed them off? Well, that's a bummer. And I don't think I ever tuned into the X-Files ever again. Although I believe that was their last season before like the kind of reboot seasons. Okay, yeah. So I was kind of bummed that they just killed them off. But apparently that was uh, some directive from the studio because that they didn't want to bring him back at all. And they're like, oh, we'll bring him back if you kill him all off like that. We're cool with that. No, oh, okay. Yeah, if you haven't seen the series, I, I remember not liking Jimmy Bond, but I'll have to like probably go up. But yeah, one reason I picked this up is like, there's no way to stream this. Uh, well, I mean, there is a way. We, we're not going to mention it uh, in case it like rats it out and it's stolen from the internet. So. Yeah. I mean, you can buy the first season on Amazon for, I think, $70 for DVDs. Uh, yeah, well, there was also weird stuff there where it's like I think someone has it for thirty, but then it's like it's like a region two DVD, and oh. like it's like, and then people are all mad. It's like nobody said it was region two, and there's like a little sticker on one of the pictures, and I was like, I'll just avoid that. I found this link; we could watch it. Yeah, uh, it's not very good quality, but it exists. Yeah, it works. So, anyways, we start out. We're at EcomCon Computer Core and being of virginia it um, seems so innocent you know (laughs) i mean it was like 21 years ago but it's like the stuff they're talking about and the stuff they're saying it's like the man's putting us down and these computers are spying on us it's like what you're crazy and then you fast forward to 2022 and it's like oh yeah absolutely that's all that's going on i mean if they're not spying on you, you'd be disappointed you know at this point it's like what you don't care (laughs) you know it's but it's not generally it's not your hardware components that are spying on you. It's just the internet in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's a it's, different it's your ISP and your, your your browser, all that stuff. Yeah, it's just some of the um because this is a show about guys that are like conspiracy theorists and they publish some kind of newsletter or something about conspiracy theories and they know everything about everything and supposedly they're fighting for the right cause. We never get to see the characters develop to find out whether that's true or not, or they themselves are like tools of something else. Like, it never really gets there. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's almost innocent. Because nowadays you say conspiracy theory, you think about people wearing, like, horns and storming the capital of the United <laughs> States or something. Like, it's not so fun anymore. Or it's yeah. like pumpkin-headed Alex Jones screaming, 
you know, into the microphone about whatever lizards turning gay. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but there's some sort of big meeting happening at the company, which I don't know if it's like the employee. I, I get they say it's the employees, which is like, wow, they made like fourteen thousand employees dress up and go to this formal to announce they're launching a new processor. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was the um, yeah. We're right off the. This is still the high point of the or, or the the second computer revolution or whatever or, or whatever yeah, they called it. We have some shadowy figures on the roof, and it must be the the lone gunman. And then, yeah, then we have some lady. She's like greeting all the people, and she's like talking up the company and all the good things again. I think was it called Optium, and it's basically just they're the Pentium. Yeah, they're in. just basically Intel. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Langley, who's like the the blonde, long haired guy, the lone gunman. He's like contradicting her everything she's saying, saying like they're they're invading their customers' privacy, and that's like yeah, all his screes are something that'd be like totally like rational thought but here it's supposed to be like he's out of control <laughs> yeah and then we have buyers and frohickey are in position because they need to like sneak into like a part of the building holding the processor chip and then so langley fakes a seizure by saying is there peanuts in this so it's like uh i'm not sure what the pull peanut allergy thing at the time was but <laughs> it blew up since then so yeah more ahead of the time stuff and we have frohickey doing the whole like mission impossible thing where they have to suspend him from wires down to like some room that has like lasers at the bottom of it yeah and then there's some ladies that's dressed as a man like watching the monitors uh because when langley fakes his seizure like everybody like leaves their desk or whatever then the rig starts going wrong and like fro hickey's like being spun around and turned upside down and everything so it's like clearly this is for comedic effect it's like no these aren't the mission impossible guys <laughs> that we're framing them to be at first so and also like in in the x-files show Whenever there was a lone gunman episode, it was usually a more comedic episode. That's why I say this was like more intended as a comedy than the other two were. And then like the the drag spy just walks in and takes the chip and like just and sets off all the alarms and then the Frohicky's just hanging there to take the blame for it. And then we cut to the opening credits. Uh, and then we come back and we're at the offices of the lone gunman, uh, singular there. <laughs> yeah tacoma park maryland apparently all the gunmen got like full searches like full cavity searches by like the security guys at the computer company yeah which was kind of weird it's like oh you just raped these guys and <laughs> like okay no one you're free to go no one's getting charged <laughs> i remember body cavity searches of that it was like a running gag throughout the 90s yeah because beavis and butthead were always talking about you know that <laughs> happening to them and yeah it's kind of the same vein yeah, here they're angry about it. It's like they can't just do that to us. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think a public or a private security firm is allowed to do that thing to people. You have to be like handed over to like some sort of authorities or something. But here they were. They're just like, all right, we stuck some fingers up you. Now you can go home. Yeah. Now you've learned your lesson. <laughs> and we have buyers kind of be. Buyers is more of the like, like his backstory was that he was like a government employee. He was just do, just doing his job, and then he basically figures out like, oh, the government's up to bad things, like, and then that's where he got changed around. So he's still kind of like this stuck-up kind of Boy Scout kind of character, but he's on the side of like you know these hippie like contrarians, curs, and all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah, he's frustrated that like their newsletter isn't getting results. Like they're not. He feels like they're not changing anything. They're just preaching to the choir. So it's like. Because they say, like, it says, like, the circulation's like 2,000 or something like that. And the lady that, that took the chip is Yves Adela Harlow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's more like, 
It's like starts with a Y, but you say it like Eve, which I get. She, I think she's a new character here. I know there's a thing with Eve in in X Files because there's a band called Eve Six, and they're named after an X Files character. That could be. <laughs> okay, and that she's just like some professional industrial espionage person, so she just stole it to sell it to some other company. I'm not sure. They find out that like she bugged their office, so you know they have that scene where they have like some beeping thing where they're going through all their racks of stuff and like the whatever basement of the building they're in and then langley like yells into the bug and throws it into a cup of coffee byers gets a call that his dad passed away and so they go to the funeral langley spots eve at the funeral but it's not her it's just a guy with a goofy bad like facial hair yeah uh, which is a fun joke there because he like yanks on his on his facial hair and he's like ow what are you doing he's like never mind and then they have this weird moment where, like, for his funeral, they fire off a model rocket for some reason. It's filled with his ashes, I think. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Byer's dad was, like, a lifelong bureaucrat, so... And one of his friends is, like, suspicious that he... Thinks he died under suspicious circumstances, so they think that, like, he was murdered rather than he just died in the car accident that they told him about. Uh, here he mentions that there was a lack of skid marks. And so then they flash back to the accident, but it's not actually a flashback. It's just kind of like a, a representation of what the guy's saying. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a weird thought back to like, oh, this is what it might have been. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like unreliable narrator stuff. <laughs> yeah. And they have him like getting shot while he's driving on the road and the car just like drives off the road and explodes. Cars don't do that when they just make impacts. You'd have to stage the car to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's my understanding that doesn't always happen. So they go to the Bertram Byers resident. They search in his dad's house. Frohickey slips on wet carpet, which I don't think I've ever slipped on wet carpet, but I understand the idea of wet things make you slip. So I don't know. Yeah, depends on uh, what kind of nap it is. If it's a thick yeah. pile absorbs a lot of water yeah that'll be real slick but if it's a berber eh, not so much although it's a good setup for like the joke that they play later on to like show him like slipping and falling it's yeah like, it really sets up that joke later on um yeah you could tell why it was there langley checks the computer but it's like cleaned out but they like they check the registry to see that how many like delete commands there have been so then they're they're checking the delete logs and they see something that Something deleted was called Scenario 12D. And they're like, what's that? It's like, we got to figure out what that is. Meanwhile, Farouk, he's like, has like a full suit on and like a, a UV light. And he sees that like the thing he slipped in was just full of blood. Then they're like, oh, my dad was murdered here and then thrown in a car and the accident was staged. So then they go to the salvage yard to try to find the car. And there's a fun little moment where like they see, they say they make a model of the car and they see one being like loaded into the crusher. And they're like running for it and they slip into it. And they're like, no, stop it. And the guy who was like taking them, was like, the car is here. And it's like already crushed. It's yeah. <laughs> but I do like that. They don't just like, oh, it's crushed. We can get anything out of there. Like, no, they go through their crushed car looking for evidence. So I think there's a commercial break somewhere here. Langley is like at some like virtual slash real gun range where they have like virtual targets, but you're firing real guns. Is that a thing? I yeah, some of the technology they like had in this like that, it's like the hacker's gun range or whatever. It's like oh, they didn't even yeah. do that now, but okay, <laughs> cool. I mean, I've seen stuff where like they have like training stuff, but like you don't have a real gun. You just kind of have like you have like in like a Beretta, but it has like a light sensor on it. It's not a real gun. It's just basically like the the zapper from the NES. <laughs> you're playing duck hunt. Yeah, I've seen that stuff, but not not. Nothing to this extent. Yeah, this um, seemed pretty, ex ex you know, involved. Langley's talking to one of his guys. He needs him to hack DOD, uh, a DOD file. 
And then meanwhile, there's Eve is there, and she's just like dual wielding Mac tens at the range. Yeah, <laughs> fully on Mac Mac tens, <laughs> trying to do her Laura, Laura Croft impression. I don't know why she'd ever use those in her job. <laughs> See, like you want to go for like let's blast an area with lead. It'd be more like you'd let's get a gun with a silencer on it. Yeah, it kind of attracts attention thing. when you just like <laughs> empty magazines to steal something. You're like, huh. but I mean, this whole scene is just like a bunch of eye candy. It doesn't make any sense. Then you know it's a setup for later on. With here, they're just like Langley is just kind of mad at at Eve. But here later on, they're gonna like try to ask her for help. And then we have Frohickey is trying to like see they're they're going through the crushed car and they find like a computer board that's suspicious because like it has all these things that they recognize like that's an antenna this does that but there's like no company markings on it so it's like well that's suspicious. Langley gets his hacker blade. They're able to hack into a DoD database and find Scenario 12D and then like as they're like downloading it and decrypting it they're looking at the computer board they took out at the same time they're like oh the car was remote controlled by the computer chip. Yeah, uh, and at the same time, they're trying to download this this scenario 12D, which is just a war game scenario involving airline terrorism. As they're downloading the file, they're like getting traced, but just before like counter hacker like gets their location, like Frohickey pulls the plug and he's like, "That's ah, not worth dying for, man." <laughs> which is like interesting thing because in this whole episode, it's kind of like buyers. They're trying to set it up that like buyers is going too far, and it's like finally like Frohickey and Langley are like the cool headed people. It's like, nah, we can't go that far, man. We'll be dead. <laughs> it's like, and then also like the as like that the counter hackers is like ah they they cut it off like the the dad's friend Ray is revealed from the from the uh, funeral and he's like next to that counter hackers like oh he's actually the bad guy yeah then they go to the crash site where the car crashed into like a what is it just like a pylon for a bridge or something <laughs> it's, yeah something like that it's like yeah it's underneath a bridge uh, Ray shows up and then Byers is telling Ray that his dad isn't dead and then we then we have this flashback. And we have the would-be assassin walking on the wet carpet, which was, it's wet because it was recently shampooed, not that it was covered in blood. He slips and falls and shoots himself in the yeah. head, and now it's covered in blood, uh, which is a great joke. <laughs> it was funny. I was like, what just happened? Wait a minute. Well, like, uh, you know, in, in shows like these, you always have, like, you the, the assassins are super serious and professional, and, like, they, they can't be, like... They just can't be unwavered by anything. It's <laughs> just like a guy slips and falls and shoots himself in the head. Yeah. It makes it seem like the evil government is very pliable and like not that dangerous. <laughs> and and then the dad puts the assassin in, in the car and is able to remote control it because he knows something about it. And then he runs the assassin to the bridge and then the car blows up. That's in the flashback. And then afterward, lone gunmen are like, hey, Ray, we're going to need your password. And he's like, it's Overlord. It's like, you know, he doesn't give, like, hey, what's your login? <laughs> they just, like, password's Overlord. <laughs> oh, good. We have uh, a password, but no name to go with it. No critique of, like, you know, that's not a good password or anything like that. Just It's still just 2000, so, you know, not not everybody's on the Internet yet. Nor does everybody have cell phones. So. Nor does everybody have 50 different subscription services they are signed up to. Right, right. And Bayer goes goes back to his, new, his dad's house, and he finds that the lone gunman newsletter's there so he's kind of like oh like i guess my dad did care about my work and then his dad shows up and he's like as he's like buyers about to hug his dad his dad just slaps him in the face yeah it's like what are you doing here <laughs> you're gonna get yourself killed <laughs> and then his dad tells him that there's a rogue faction in the government that's trying to create terrorism because of a lack of a clear enemy has made a flat economy in the military industrial complex and so 
bringing down a 747 in the middle of New York City and you'll find a bunch of tin pot dictators waiting to claim responsibility. That's how they're going to drum up the war economy. Hmm, I wonder why the show got canceled. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, you you see that and you're like, and then you're like, oh, wait, when did this come out? What? Oh, wow. That's kind of weird. I'm yes, not saying that that happened, but there was certainly a lot of people that believed it did. Yeah. This is this is a pre-9-11 show. And, yeah, and there's, I don't know, there's, I saw some weird, like, I think I was looking up stuff on Reddit about this episode, and there's been some weird comments. In it. I don't know if they're being serious or facetious or just having fun, but they're, like, talking about how, like, yeah, this is a perfect cover for 9-11 because something about, like, fascists have no imagination, so they would just steal a plot from a television show. Okay. <laughs> Not because they're bold, but because they have no imagination. Yeah, because they're, yeah, that's... <laughs> Why not? I mean, yeah, I mean, there are some really mind-bendingly weird coincidences, you know, but yeah, Um, it was was when I, because I don't think I'd seen this or remembered it until I watched it, and I was like, oh yeah, this is just right on the nose, like this, they're not even, it's not, I mean, it's a slightly different scenario, it doesn't involve onboard terrorists, but it's like, oh, this is so weird that like, this is what they did, and uh, and then 9-11 happened, you're like, oh my god, this is... Well, because even like you had like um, no, it's the one where they like crash the plane into like Congress at the yeah. end. Yeah, uh, no, that's uh, dead of honor dead or of without honor? remorse. Of I, yeah, I forget. Yeah, yeah, it's dead of honor. Like I remember people were like, like, oh, that's a little weird. That's a little strange coincidence. And it's like, no, there's an even stranger coincidence. I mean, Tom Clancy was on TV explaining nine eleven because yeah. of that book. It's it's <laughs> it's like yeah, your story was a little different. It was uh a Japanese pilot that flew a plane into the Congress because of trade sanctions. And it was like, everyone thought that was a crazy idea back then. What did you know? And, and he's of course <laughs> like, well, nothing, but it's like, it is a fact that you can, if you ram a 20 ton aircraft into a building at 500 miles an hour, it can do a lot of damage. You don't need to develop like missiles and infrastructure or anything. It's like the weapons already flying. You just got to take <laughs> it over, you know? And it's, yeah, this one was like so specific to nine eleven. It's like wow. Yeah, and I mean, and the planes like the computer chip takes over the plane, and the pilots can't turn off the autopilot. And then when they finally like override it, it's like the plane is uh, like they're pulling up, like they're about to crash into the side of a mountain, and you just see the World Trade Center glance by, and then it like clips the antenna that's yeah. on the top of the actual World Trade Center that you know. <laughs> And so you see that, and you're like, oh, this is why this isn't, like, probably... I mean, none of the people, like, Vince Gilligan, I went and looked. It's like, did he ever say that they canceled it because it was too on the nose of stuff? And No, they never say that, but they yeah. say it's because of low ratings, which is also an evidence for that, too. So <laughs> it's... Uh... But yeah, this uh, yeah, kind of stuff's it, it in my this... wheelhouse anyway. So it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'll believe this. A lot of things in this episode are weirdly prescient. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, this only got 13 episodes, so I didn't get a full season round. I'm not sure if that was how it was intended. Because being that this starts in May, it seems like it was like like what they call, oh, what do they call it? I can't remember what they call it. It's like a mid-season replacement. Yeah. It might have been what it was did, and then they just canceled it anyway. So uh, it didn't get, I'm not sure if it was ever intended to have a full run, like to get if they canceled it halfway through or if they only got 13 episode run up front but uh after he tells him that Byers wants his dad to like take this to the press 
But he says he can't do that because they'd kill him immediately and the press wouldn't run the story. Yeah. And he also mentions, like, the Overlord is an enemy, which I don't think they ever, like, put that together as the obvious thing. It's like, oh, his password's Overlord, and Overlord's the bad guy. Yeah, it's, like, all in one. I think they just let the audience figure that out. So. Then we're back at base. We have Froki doing, like, naming anagrams with Eva Della Harlow, which that stuff is always, like, I don't know, is that, like, bottom-of-the-barrel conspiracy theory? <laughs> Depends on who you talk to and what the context is. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like, that's obvious. Like, if you're operating in that community of people that are that paranoid and just think in strange ways anyway, and you're going to make your name an anagram for Lee Harvey Oswald, it's like, people <laughs> pick that up anyway. Because the name sounded tortured when I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there's something about that name. And then in the same episode, it's like, oh, yeah, that's Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay, that makes sense. That's fun. But, it's a good way to but, start things, you know. Well, I, I just always hate that, like, at least in real life when people think, like, oh, something's named this, and if you take these letters, it spells out this, and it's like, and it says, like, Satan something or whatever like that, and it's like, it's like, see, they're just hiding it in plain sight. It's like, no, you're torturing it to all your means. Yeah. I mean, there's a uh, reason, like, the CIA and the, the Defense Department uh, like computers pick names for operations that are supposed to be secret. It's because everyone would call their operation like you know, it's like like Overlord's a cool name. Like that was the yeah. that was the invasion of Europe by the Allies. That's a cool name. And then the invasion for the uh, the code name for the invasion of Japan was Downfall. Like that was back in the day they had those kind of <laughs> names for things. But now they call things like, you know, Operation Green River. And it's like, what's that about? It's like, oh, it's assassinating all these third world dictators. Because you're not going to call it like Operation Murder the Bad Guys. Because it's like people are going to know to look for that. But they're not going to look for like Operation Pine Tree or something. You know, it's... Then Byers tells them that their dad is still alive. But then Ray like leaves to go meet his dad. It's like, I got to go talk to him. And as Ray leaves, then like the dad just shows up. It's like... It's like, oh, good you're here. Well, because they even point out, it's like, you just like sold out your dad. We don't know if he's a good guy or not. It's like, yeah, we, we had a suspicion. They're basically kind of like creating a ruse to expose Ray. And so they say they need a hydrocarbon sniffer, which I didn't get at first because I thought I thought at all points the whole problem was like, oh, they're going to remotely take control of an airplane. Yeah, that's... But no, they, they get this because they're looking for a bomb on an airplane because they think they're just going to blow up the aircraft over New York City. Right. So I was a bit confused by that at first. But um, Byers and his dad go to the airport, and they're trying to find the plane. The reason they have the hydrocarbon sniffer because they, they think they're looking for a bomb. So they hop on the plane to New York. Yeah, they're trying to find a bomb on the plane, but then they realize there isn't a bomb. It's just that the plane's going to re be remotely hijacked. And then also somehow the lone gunmen are also able to, like, hack into the flight data on the on the airplane magically yeah these the lone gunmen have mad skills for uh you know a time and a place when like yeah a lot of like commercial aircraft were just 1970s technology with some modern stuff grafted onto them they weren't like the new stuff now where it is all computers and it's like yeah maybe because it's like how did you remotely drive a car that has yeah. a power steering pump with a rack and pinion. <laughs> it's not like like my car has an electric power steering pump. It also can yeah. apply. I can put it in a mode where it drives itself down the road. I have to keep my hands on the wheel, but it won't allow a collision or lane shift. It will automatically like move the wheel, and your mom and dad's car does that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, nowadays I mean, you could imagine someone like putting yeah. something in there. But back then it's like, 
oh, that was a 1992 like Buick LeSabre. Like it was just a. <laughs> I mean, it had a, the most advanced thing in it was the radio. Like, <laughs> there's yeah, no way the, to put hydraulic things that accelerate it and yeah. steer the wheel and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit like far fetched to the for the the cars, but the airplanes do have autopilots. Yeah, they do. Like, so you just have to have something powerful enough to get consistently get a signal to something traveling 300 miles an hour <laughs> over one of the most like electronically congested cities in the world it's like okay sure they could do that why not but yeah they notice a glitch and that's where they're like oh the glitch means the plane's hijacked because then they like run into the cockpit and it's like your plane's not working and like they like switches off the the autopilot and they're like oh they're right because we don't have control of the plane even after we switch off the autopilot the the lone gunman track the the flight course and see it's oh it's flying towards the world trade center which i imagine when they're making this episode like that would be like an obvious thing because we already had the World Trade Center bombing there, like you know, like a few years earlier. So that would be a thing. Like, oh yeah, that's a target. So oh yeah, the World the World Trade Center has been attacked by King Kong. Uh, <laughs> was a landing strip for the Gulf Stream and uh, escaped from New York. Like yeah, it's just a huge landmark. And it's like yeah, yeah. you hit it with a plane. It's like oh that's nuts. And then it actually happens. Like whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, some reason they can't, like, override the pack because they just don't have enough computing power. Yeah. Uh, and so that's when Frohickey goes to Eve to get the chip that she apparently hasn't sold off yet. And they and then she, like, hacks in remotely as well and then just uses the computer power or whatever. And they're able to... Um, oh, this is also where he mentions that, like, yeah, her, he figured out her name is an anagram for Lee Harvey Oswald. I don't really know why that's important. It's like, is that she assassin? She's she related to him? <laughs> Well, it's just also ties in with the title of the show and, and yeah, like yeah. ties everything together. Like, ah, this is the world we're living in. <laughs> so, yeah, she hacks in remotely and then the, the, the chip allows them to override and they're able to give back manual control of the plane. And, they, yeah, they just pull back on the stick and do all the G's they can. And, yeah, clip like one of the I don't think they clip like the big antenna. I think there's just like a little. Oh, like, I, I took it to be the there. big antenna. OK, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's at night. Well, I mean, it's like. We're talking 2000s CGI budget for a television show, so everything's at night, and you can basically barely detail anything that's going on in this in this episode. Also, we're watching it at like 360p. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of things are a mask of darkness. <laughs> yeah, this is an old school viewing experience. <laughs> so yeah, that was. So they stopped but, the plane from crashing. And then Byers is like laying out plans to like, yeah, this is what we should do to expose Overlord, but his dad doesn't want to come forward. But the, at the end of the day, Byers gets respect from his dad. His, his dad's like, you're much more of a hero than I ever was. You know, his dad was like in the Air Force and stuff like that and a lifelong government employee. But uh, he realizes that all the crackpot stuff he's been dealing with over the years, like, no, that stuff is, if not all true, it's it's all leading towards like he is on the right side of whatever that's going on. Well, see, that was the fun thing about the lone gunman as X-Files uh, kind of extra characters was it's like, yeah, they were all crazy and they all believed yeah. in everything. But when they were right, they were always right. Yeah. But it's just like there was so much insanity that went along with it. <laughs> it, it, it and that's and that's a very common thing in like the conspiracy theory universe of. Because, you know, there's people that argue with you like Alex Jones was right about some stuff. It's like, well, yeah, because he says everything's a conspiracy. <laughs> You're bound to be right eventually. You know, if you throw I'm, knives in the dark, you'll eventually hit the bullseye. But you're throwing so many knives to achieve that. It's like, well, 
who's waiting around to see. Well, like the funny thing is, like here is they they try to give them like a credency by like having that they can't print the hijacking plane story to drum up money for the military industrial complex because they don't have the evidence for it. So what they print instead is the the computer chip that's gonna spy on you because <laughs> yeah. they have the they actually have the computer chip right. So. Which I forget there there is some conspiracy. Well, actually, there's something true to that, but I, I don't know how it works out, especially with some Pentium chip that's basically giving information about the user back to Intel somehow. But I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know. There's some stuff where it's like people talk about hacking. It's like they make it basically make it seem like you can hack, like if you have access to the uh, like electricity that goes to the computer, you can hack it. Which there are things that can do that, but it's very rare and unspecific information. Uh, you kind of have to be in there <laughs> and broadcast the information explicitly to get that stuff. But yeah, uh, some. So, but yeah, you know, I'm not. Sometimes hacking's just magic, and there's really smart people out there, and they can do interesting things. But sometimes it's just really dumb how you hack. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's like when you know, when. I read books about stuff like the CIA did, you know, and a lot of it's just brute force. Like it's, yeah. it's like, what, we're, what are we going to do? We're going to suck up all these documents and just have a room full of people going over them for a year. And then we will find the thing we need like that. I mean, that was stuff they did with like early Russian computers and, and things like that was they would send a guy in who was like a, you know, an, a, someone they bribed or whoever wanted to be a defector and it's like, yeah, just get all the information on this device. And you're talking about something as big as a suitcase, you know, with a car battery hooked up to it. And it's like, what's this going to do? It's like, well, it's going to record everything in that computer. I mean, like, just as raw data. Oh, yeah. okay. And it's going to take five hours, by the way, because we're talking like 80s, <laughs> early 90s stuff. And it's, it's like, yeah, it's going to take like five hours. And then we're gonna ha you're going to pass that off in Gorky Park or whatever. And then a year later, we're going to like pay geniuses to sort all this out and have some <laughs> kind of information. And what we figured out was like uh, six weeks after it happens, like, hey, the Soviet Union's going bankrupt. It's like, yeah, have you read the newspaper lately? <laughs> you didn't have to spend a billion dollars to figure that out. You could have just bought a newspaper. But yeah, there was stuff like that, too. But yeah, yeah, this is a pretty strong <laughs> opening episode. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's only, it's only weirdly become more relevant, but yeah, it only had 13 episodes and it was gone. And, uh, like I said, I was really interested at first and then I just kind of dropped off on it. I'll have to, uh, I don't know if we'll do more with it on here. Maybe not this kind of just a, a fun little thing to throw in as a, a pinch hitter. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of in, in the realm of things we talk about anyway. So it worked. Yeah. It was fun. I don't regret seeing it. If this was on TV, like for five years, with kind of the quirky comedy and stuff, I don't know if I would have stayed like engaged, uh, yeah. but who knows what it would have become, you know? It's, yeah. It's like, so yeah, the lone gunman, um, no, it exists. <laughs> Can't say check, check it, it out. out any way you can. <laughs> yeah. Just go to a database search and find it. Uh, just write, write lone gunman and then a, a pinned Reddit there. And then they'll get you where to go in because Google is terrible now because all these companies have bought up all the search engine stuff to redirect to everything they have. So you just put red at the end of a search and you'll probably get what you need. Yeah. Or just the use the brave right browser. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, for our second show, we have the mentalist season two, episode 23, red sky in the morning, Original red eight, May 20th, 2010 CBS Thursday. 
The tension between Patrick and Christina escalates when a Red John and imposter strikes and gets Christina officer services the CBI. However, the case causes the real Red John to come back and meet Patrick for the first time face to face. Showrunner Bruno Heller, written by Bruno Heller, and directed by Chris Long. Uh, and this is the season finale. Yes, of season two. Which, upon reflection, I. I feel like I'm missing something because it kind of seems like the ending comes out of nowhere and then nothing really happens. No, unfortunately, I don't think you are because uh, (laughs) I was watching this and I was like, wait. And I'll say like season two of The Mentalist started off pretty strong. Yeah. And then there was like a quality arc of of like, oh, here goes the other side of the roller coaster. Uh, Not the fun side. when it comes to this but yeah it, it seemed like well i mean if i was comparing it i had something similar where i was comparing it to the miami vice season and i fe- i feel like this season started out at an a and then like the rest of the episodes were kind of like c plus b minus yeah which is fine uh where miami vice is kind of all over the place but yeah that this yeah this this should have had one more climb at the end of the at the end of the series and it didn't really but. no it almost seemed like it was there seemed to be some strange like I wouldn't say continuity, but it's almost like everyone was distracted. Like, are you shooting like five episodes at once? So yeah, it's, yeah. There was kind of a weird uh, unfocusedness, uh, or unfocusedness, an unfocused quality to some of the writing and the characters. In, the, in this episode, it stood out. It's like, okay, we're wrapping up, guys. Why is everyone <laughs> staring off into space? Why does it seem like, go here, do that? And it's like, is that just a way to get them off the set? So, because they can go film their whatever they're doing you know it's kind of weird they start we're at giorgio's italian restaurant in sacramento california uh jane and fry are on, that's christina i just have her written as fry throughout here i hope that's not a problem nah, it's fine with me <laughs> okay uh they're out on a date fry does some cold reading on the server and she's able to like determine that like his like mom died recently and he had an uncle that said roll tide yeah um <laughs> and then i don't know why she does that it seems like oh she's gonna get money off the bill or something like that but there's that that's a whole confusing thing for Fry this because I think like the ultimate like, conclusion for Fry is that like she just admits that she's she'd have to at some point just admit that she's very intuitive but this isn't actually like mysticism or stuff from the yawn right that seems like the ultimate arc for the character but this whole episode is like it's just her it's like why can't something that unbelievable be true jane <laughs> it's like because it's not yeah because the universe doesn't work that way <laughs> well i don't know whatever it's uh well also yeah, during the scene like james kind of jane is like embarrassed by this whole thing it's like why are you doing this and she's like i just have to gift i have a gift i need to like i need to like bring you know happiness to others and it's like okay come on <laughs> yeah i mean because like uh, from jane's position he's like he's been in her position before it's like this is just done for money and to show off your skills and he's just admitted to himself like oh that was just all for money and 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 narcissism that wasn't actually doing anything for good uh and now he does do stuff for good but now i can't enjoy it because he's he's just an empty husk yeah it's like everything that gave meaning to his life is already dead he's just like he's like well it's just now i just live for vengeance I mean, and I feel like he's trying to impart that lesson on Fry, but she's still like, I got a business to run. Yeah, it's like, hey, it's like, you know how expensive houses are in California? It's, we got to drum up some business. 
I mean, Vampel gets an alert on her computer and she's like about to leave for the day, but then it's like, it's a video of like a break in. And like, I don't know if this is supposed to be like a live video or she's just watching the video at center because it has like the little like hit play and fast forward options on it. But like, it, they made it, but the way they're reacting to it, there it's like, oh, this is live, but I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You'd almost think she'd be like, I gotta go. Let's get to the good part. Okay. <laughs> killed her. Uh, let's call her. <laughs> gotta get home and feed my cat. Uh, then we cut back to like the date, and Jane's like telling Fry of like his prison exploits this season, which is very fun. Him trying to explain it because she doesn't believe him. It's like it's too like weird. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. That, that episode is a little far fetched, but it's fun. <laughs> And then Jane goes in the bathroom. He sort of has like a panic attack because he's like caressing his wedding ring for like a bit. And then he's coming back. He's basically going to call the date off. But then Van Pelt calls him and say they need to get him to the office right away. And the video they're looking at has a red John symbol on the wall. And so, you know, credits. Yeah. Um, and we come back. CBI is rewatching the video uh, and some ladies being killed in the bed. And Fry's also there. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was on the date with Jane. It's like, well, come with me. I guess he drove. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jane doesn't have his normal weird European car. He has like a Chevy Traverse. Yeah. He's driving like a normal person's car. <laughs> and yeah, the victim is Marley Sparrow. Sparrow. Uh, Jane doesn't want Fry working on the case because because she's like basically like attributing her skills to like religion and all this stuff rather than science. Yeah. And so he's mad about that. Uh, and, but also it's a red John case and it's like only I can work on red John cases. That's why that I'm whole, here. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole first half of the season is all about that. And so Jane and Fry like part in the elevator and we have Jane at the crime scene. And he's like talking to the victim's dead body, which is it's like, it's like, we'll figure this out. It's like, weird yeah there was a lot um, of weird jane shit in this episode and then the forensic guy comes in he's kind of hurrying jane along and like uh it's i don't know if you remember back to the first episode but like when the the guy gets killed with the golf club the this is the that same forensic guy in that scene i knew he was in the show before but yeah i i believe this is his second appearance so. okay but then yeah jane evaluates saying he, he just says that ah, wasn't red john and then he asked the guy to make sure that all the journals and papers get sent to the CBI, uh, which I thought that was going to be like a point, like, oh, they didn't send the journals, but you know, they did, I guess. So yeah, I forgot to write down, but they're interviewing some people that are like, cause it's a college student and like they're interviewing like the dorm kind of the floor companions or whatever. And like, yeah, we we're out snowboarding. And so, yeah, she was dating a policeman uh, named like Gary Grady ship. Yeah. I mean, they go like, interview her academic advisor who she's just like an eccentric academic advisor like i don't know teaches like i don't know what she teaches she teaches everything yeah like it seems to be like film acting poetry um yeah criminal like science yeah <laughs> but but she's an academic advisor which i, I don't know like she's a catch-all what's that she's just a catch-all character yeah so yeah. they didn't have to hire more actors yeah that's true yeah because i was like an academic advisor like as far as I know, it's more like kind of an HR person. They're not really like teaching classes on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they're pointing out the academic advisor. Uh, the cop boyfriend was like using an alias. I forget. Oh, I forget his real. He has like three names. I forget what they call when they, they say he's a cop. He has a different name. They figure out he's using an alias Grady ship. And then he has an actual name. <laughs> Wesley Blankfine. Yeah. Blankfine. Nobody knows who he is. It's an interesting scene because like the cut in between. Fry's on TV, who's trying to appeal to 
Red John and like the CBI are like sitting in a coffee shop, but like the audio is not on, but they kind of cut between like Jane seeing the subtitles and then they like they cut to the actual like the interview itself. And it's kind of interesting, like uh, it's interesting scene. Yeah. Because like Jane is like running off like scared and furious. It's like, don't do that. Because <laughs> uh, Hightower, Fry and Jane have a discussion. Jane thinks she's in danger because she went on TV and spoke to read john as if she knew him and then fry thinks she'll be fine because she didn't tell any lies like jane did yeah uh and she says something like you know people can change come Um, back to the light red john it's like yeah (laughs) this guy's he's gonna come back to the light all right uh rigsby and cho check on some address that van pelt found in the in the sparrow journal uh it's just some like abandoned building that someone's living at and they're like there's like red John symbols all over the place written in pig's blood. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. It was visually interesting. And then R- Rigsby and Cho get shot at like through like a, a light fixture or what do you call those? The glass. Uh, yeah. Like the, the op- kind of like a skylight, but like a huge yeah, one. Yeah. 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 They get shot through the skylight. And so like they, they, they don't get shot and then they give chase and the guy like gets away on a motorbike, but then Rigsby finds like a lens cap and then, Jane's able to like lead lead him to a next clue, and then Jane and Lisbon are at Fry's house because they like set up a security detail for Fry. And I love there's a lot of cutting around here. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. have notes that are not mentioning the cuts, so I got to because we have Cho and Rigsby after getting shot at are talking with Miss Ketchum, and she's the the eccentric academic advisor, and then she has a bunch of class lists with Cho and Rigsby that have like Wesley Blankfein comes up on both lists. So that's where they know to look for Blankfein. Uh, they check out his dorm, but it's empty. They're also like told he has like a weird relationship with his mom. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, was uh, kind of like, oh, where's this going? <laughs> and then Lisbon gets a call from the FBI on a potential Red John case. And then the woman that interviewed Fry, she lives in, oh, what is it? Lake Tahoe in Nevada. So she got killed and there was a lead shot. So she got actually killed by Red John. <laughs> yeah, this is a real one. <laughs> Yeah, and then also Fry is taken aback because she's like, yo, yo, you just got somebody killed. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, he didn't kill you, but he killed her. So, yeah, she's kind of taken back a bit. Jane goes to the Lake Tahoe scene and checks it out. And this time, you know, he's, like, totally scared because, like, yep, this is Red John. Definitely Red John. And then also Jane's worried for Fry. Rigsby and Cho go and check out Blank Fiend's mother's house. And then, like, the neighbor's like, she hasn't come out for months. Those cats are crying. <laughs> or not months, but, like, I don't know, like, five days or something like that. Yeah. And so they break into the house and it's just, you know, filled with cats. Uh, and then there's a shrine to Marley Sparrow in there. It's all weird. Uh, but the mom isn't there. And then they take that, that mural back to CBI. And so Jane's like spotting locations in the photograph. So they, they kind of split up the team in like two different places. But then Jane like takes another look and he goes to a third location. Well, and Jane's ordered to like stop, like to not work. Yeah because he's just out on a you know he's not acting like the normal jane the next thing is you have jane calls fry and van pelt picks up her phone and then they go to like go get fry and she's not there so fry has been kidnapped or we presume yeah <laughs> and so that's when the like high tower and lisbon like yeah take a break <laughs> we know you're under a lot of emotional distress right now and, and jane's like yeah this is my case <laughs> like this is my life's work now <laughs> don't take this from me so yeah, they split up the team, and then this is when Jane takes another look at a photograph and decides he knows where it's at. This is what, yeah, this is where he drives up in his Chevy Traverse and gets out. And so, don't know if that's I don't know if he just borrowed somebody's car at CBI or the of the weird 
car they had him before the the jane mobile wasn't working this this day or or they're changing some things well because uh, i'm willing to bet like chevrolet would throw some money at the show yeah. to have their car and they're more than like uh you know citron probably not <laughs> giving a lot of ad money to to uh the, <laughs> the mentalist so like yeah, jane's like looking around the things and he's like he calls Lisbon and leaves a voicemail that's like, yeah, I'm going to be here. And then he like looks at the hotel that they're across the street and he kind of walks away and then he walks back and it's just an abandoned hotel that apparently just left the front door open. Yeah. Uh, which it's I don't got think like, like newspaper a... plastered over the windows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think you probably have more like, cause I would think like, Oh, it's abandoned. Like they're going to have all that locked stuff. But I think, you probably have experience with like things being abandoned and just like, no, people don't care. You just kind of go wander yeah, around in there. Walk right in. I mean, it's not important <laughs> unless you do damage or the drunk uh, they're paying to watch the place wakes up and he's pissed, you know, <laughs> then that guy will show up and start waving a knife around at you or a stick. But yeah, that's, that's fun. It's childhood like adventures I'm, you have to have. Well, I can't remember like, cause you, I think you had some stories. I don't, I don't think I ever saw it. And it may have been demolished by then, but there was, the old high school in Wabash that was like on a hill and it was like abandoned. And it was like collapsing or something. Oh yeah. That was an elementary school. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it was abandoned because it was full of asbestos. Oh, okay. <laughs> and also the population of that town was shrinking. So they didn't really want to pay to have the asbestos removed. So they just abandoned it and divided it up amongst the other schools. Oh, okay. But yeah, we used to go in there and run around. And, <laughs> um, well, I never really wanted to destroy things. I just kind of like the novelty of like, oh, here's a classroom full of desks, and they like didn't take any of this stuff, and it's it was <laughs> like, you know, because people do that now, and they take pictures. Yeah. I didn't have, I mean, back then I would have had to take pictures on film at night, which you know that's. But, but like, I, how'd you get in there? Did somebody just leave a door open, or was there just a way to get in? That was just a way to get in. Uh, the uh, the windows were boarded up because they'd been broken out long ago by other hooligans. <laughs> but um, some of the uh, the doors that had windows in them, like there was really no good way to secure the wood to them. So they just put up like a two by four and run some screws in. And after a few seasons, you could just pull that back and walk right in. <laughs> okay. But if you got caught there, you know, the cops would take you to your parents and make a big deal. Like, oh, this is trespassing. Yeah. It's like like you were stealing like nuclear <laughs> launch codes or something. It's like you guys are idiots. Yeah, so like Jane like walks into the the abandoned hotel and he walks into like a ray of light and then somebody just runs up and knocks him out. Come back, he's like in some candlelit room. He's plastic wrapped to a chair. Yeah, saran wrapped to a chair. <laughs> Blank finds stands before him and he, but he's going by his alias of Grady Ship. Uh, he literally does this thing like, "Can we do this again?" Like he's doing a second take. It's like, wait, what's going on? Here? Yeah, because <laughs> he's like saying some weird like now the sacrifice will be complete or something like that. And then like blank finds like holding the knife to a candle. Jane starts acting like he's like a, a film director is being very critical. <laughs> it's like, no, why don't you take it again? I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. Say it like you mean it. I mean, own it. Like, you know, because it's like, this was, we're doing this for, uh, you know, in the name of red John and, <laughs> but he's not really selling it. Like he's hesitant. And then what's revealed is like the snowboarder kids that gave some information for game are like some like weird avant-garde filmmakers that are actually killing people for their art. It's yeah. Like, what? 
That's the stupidest thing. It's like, yeah, we want to make films about people being murdered, but like actual people being murdered. It's like, well, yeah, how are we gonna? How you sell that? Yeah, yeah. How are you gonna distribute this and not get caught? Yeah, I had an eye rolling moment when it was like, (laughs) oh, this is stupid. (laughs) I really actually said that out loud. I think, yeah. Um, Like, okay, let's see where this goes because I know we're gonna have a showdown with Red John. Yeah, I mean, I would have been fine with this being like an episode, like in the middle, but like this is your episode finale. It's like that's that's like, and the only thing I thought like would be like clever is like is essentially this is all a misdirect for Red John, yeah, like not on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, apparently like these kids are holding Blank finds mom's hostage, and so he's doing all this stuff. I don't know if he's killing people because they killed Marley. Yeah. Like blank fine didn't. So they're, but they're here. They're kind of like holding his mom hostage to do it. And then like Jane's like, no, if you kill me, they're going to kill your mom anyway. So yeah, don't kill me. And then a mysterious figure comes out and has like a science pistol and shoots the bad kids and shoots blank fine in the leg. And then the, what's presumably red John goes up to the kids and finishes them off with a knife. Just yep. like one of them still like alive and he just like cuts their throat or something. And then like red John, he's got like this weird kind of almost like craggly devil mask on or something. And he's like speaking poetry to Jane and he like leaves her a bit and he just like comes back <laughs> like almost humorously. Yeah. And he mentions that like, he mentions like Fry. He says something about Fry, and he also says the roll tide thing. Yeah, basically in- indicating that like, oh, he's had them under surveillance like the whole time. Yeah, uh, like even from their date. So that's what like that's supposed to be. And For then a weirdly, second, it was like, oh, was that the waiter? Was that Red John? <laughs> but I'd, no, it'd never be that obvious. And I didn't look it up. Does that poetry like have any? Is that from? Oh, somewhere? Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. Yeah. yeah, that's a William Blake poem. Oh, okay. And basically, I mean, I could read the poem here, but I'm not. Go look it up. But it's basically like asking God, like, did you make evil, God, and why? <laughs> it's like that's the point of it. And also, uh, William Blake was a painter, and he painted uh, the great red dragon. Remember from oh. the red dragon? Red dragon. <laughs> so it's like, ah, okay, this is kind of tipping our hat, I see. <laughs> or I'm just totally looking way too far into it. It's none of those things, but it's like um, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, there's Blake. Okay. But then, uh, so Red John leaves, and then we cut to like just two days later. Jane's on his thinking couch. <laughs> Lisbon comes on, comes up to him. He's like, did Red John say anything? And he's like, no, nope. <laughs> he didn't say anything. We're never told if like Fry is alive no. or if Blank Fine's alive. <laughs> nope, it just kind of because Ruby Blank Fine was still like alive and he saw the whole thing because there was like some stuff that Jane couldn't see because he was tied up, but Blank Fine could basically see everything. And then Jane goes to his place where his wife and child died, but like with the the bed removed and just a a a like a just a small mattress on the ground underneath the red John symbol in his house. And he repeats the poetry to himself. Yeah. Underneath the red John symbol. And that's the end of season two. Yep. That's it. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, I thought, yeah, I thought this was a pretty good season. Had a very strong start. This is a weird ending for the season. <laughs> yeah. It was a little disjointed. Hey, not everything's going to be a home run, but I did like it. So, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if they're, tipping their hat to red dragon or not but as soon as they started reading that poem it's like oh okay yeah 
It's like, did you create the evil in the world? Or, you know, it's something <laughs> like that. It's not that on the nose. Blake was basically called the, the madman poet. So, huh. he, yeah, because he, he was a poet and an artist, and he did a lot of different things. But, yeah, he was known to have a lot of, like, weird imagery and stuff people take on that. So, yeah, you can look into Mad Men. And it's just like um, um, Ridley Scott, like, his entire career has been a version of Paradise Lost. Like, every movie <laughs> he's done is, like, is something to do with, like, God and the fall from grace and all that. Like, his entire arc is Paradise Lost. Uh, everything actually absolutely <laughs> everything even though alien was also based on heart of darkness as the story moves on and we get into uh prometheus and all the other ones it's like oh the creator why is he forsaken <laughs> me it's like oh yeah we're back to uh yeah we're back to uh paradise lost again which i mean paradise lost is in everything it's almost like shakespeare it's ubiquitous but yeah um, i never actually read paradise lost so I... oh milton <laughs> How does uh, how does uh, how does Thelma and Louise relate to, <laughs> to the paradise? It's fall from grace. It's knowledge. Ter- uh, knowledge creates uh, uh, <laughs> suffering. I mean, it's that's all paradise losses being cast oh, out of the okay. garden uh, and, and falling prey to knowledge and how knowledge brings you know suffering. Yeah, that's basically Milton. Everything he wrote was something like that. And then what's the other one? The James Joyce like. Things fall apart. The sinner cannot hold. It's like, yeah, that's like everyone who writes a movie is like, that's what everything's about. I mean, JFK, the Oliver Stone JFK had stuff like that in there. It's like, okay, <laughs> we're, that, we're going uh, deep. I want to say the spiral of the void. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, the widening gyre. Yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah, uh, weirdly, it's something I, I it's something that's something I learned from Kevin Smith. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Hey, you think you're right. he 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 wrote a couple of Batman comics, and I believe one of them, the series, is entitled "The Widening Giant." Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> what rough beast lurches towards <laughs> Bethlehem to be born? You know, and it's like, huh? Jesus. <laughs> Redemption is pain, and you know Jesus <laughs> is the Son of Pain and the Son of God. And you you can go crazy just reading all this stuff. Uh, it never really resonates with me. It's like, oh, yeah, that clicks. It's like, oh, now I get all these references in movies and stuff. <laughs> it's like these guys aren't like geniuses that just came up with this stuff completely originally. It's it's like, but it is cool. You know, it's good stuff. It reminds me of uh, like I watch like or when I listen to like Bloodhound Gang lyrics and then like you enjoyed them the first time through. Then as you like learn other pop culture things like, oh, now that has me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, Red Bloodhound Gang's like fourth dimensional. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds stupid, and it is, uh-huh. but it's also yeah. like yeah, making all these yeah. references to. Well, you, you imagine, especially with that band, like they kind of like pre-internet, like it's just like, oh, this just keeps getting better. Yeah, they're just smoking dope and reading books. They're just raiding <laughs> the library, and it's like, how can we make a song about hookers crying and? You know, and and weave like philosophy into it, and just do bong rips. It all comes together. It's why you know, in my favorite bands, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Bloodhound Gang, they're you know, right now they're near each other. It's yeah, it's the same same. It's the same passion, just different result. Yeah. And for our third show, we have my advice, season two, episode twenty three, Sons and Lovers. Original air date May 9th, nineteen eighty six, NBC Friday. 
The son of Tubbs' archenemy Calderon oozes to the surface with a $1 million contract on Tubbs, while Calderon's sister Angelino says Tubbs is the father of her child. Showrunner Michael Mann, written by Dennis Cooper and directed by John Nicolella. And you can definitely tell it's a John Nicolella episode because there's a ton of like hardware and cool like equipment. <laughs> yep. And a 12-minute sex scene. <laughs> And Lee Iacocca. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was the park commissioner. Oh, okay. Can I, I help out? I'm they... pretty good with a gun. <laughs> and if you need a nice car, I have a K yeah. car here. Okay, I was, I was, I was wondering why that was totally out of place. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it was the no CEO idea. of Chrysler just okay. <laughs> appearing in a TV show because he was a pop culture icon at that time. Crack and Tubbs are in some abandoned place making a drug deal, as you know, as usual. Everything's in silence. Nobody talks. Uh, Swat's, like, standing by for backup. And then, like, the drug dealers get the jump on Tubbs and Crockett. And they take their, they take the, the wire that, that Tubbs has on and they kind of throw it away. And then the dealers, like, booby-trap the door as, like, Swat's trying to, like, make their move in. Which is a, a lot of cool things here because a lot of very specific detail. The way they booby-trap the door is, like, hang two hand grenades upside down just above the door and then just like have an eye hook on the door and then attach a cable to both the hand grenades which would be like wildly effective yeah because you'd kick in that door and all of a sudden there's grenades going off over your head i mean that'd go off five seconds later but still <laughs> don't some grenades aren't they just made as booby traps where they just instantly go off i mean they could have done something like that but uh, the, i don't know uh, yeah. i don't know what grenades i mean <laughs> Being as the only person who's actually thrown hand grenades, <laughs> there is a five. You you pull the you pull the pin, you let go of the spoon that breaks off. After that spoon lets go, the fuse starts, and you have the an average of five seconds to throw it. An average, okay. <laughs> it's not guaranteed to go off in five seconds. But yeah, even yeah, even you know, yeah, but yeah, nobody cooks the hand grenade. So when you throw it, you're still holding on to the spoon. The spoon gets released when you throw it, and that's when the timer starts. Oh, so you don't just click the spoon up and like one one thousand, two one thousand. <laughs> this will get them. <laughs> I mean, you you do that in video games, not, not in real life. Yeah, it's kind of scary to hold a bomb in your hand <laughs> that was might have had iffy quality control and has sat around in a warehouse for twenty years. It's oh like... yeah. <laughs> yeah, last time we we had we. Uh through grenades we were at a grenade range and in boot camp you just did one it's like yep yeah, done all right you're done for the day you didn't accidentally kill yourself good on you uh and then here we got to go to like throw multiple grenades so i got to throw two grenades and the reason we're doing it is like it's seemingly they just need to get rid of the backstock <laughs> yeah so that was funny yeah I remember one time we we're at we we're at a range with a like some other i think oh we're like the army was there too and Oh, no, we're at an army range, and so the range wasn't really set up to what we usually shoot. They just had the kind of, like, pop-up targets, and you couldn't tell. There was no range markers because it was kind of supposed to be, like, an unmarked range to, like, figure out how to better use your rifle. And we just had no information to tell, like, where we're hitting. Uh, we There's no good way to guess, like, you know, how far I'm off. We're just basically, they were just having to shove ammo into our guns and get rid of it because they didn't want to take any of that shit back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, we got our got our rifles super dirty that day. <laughs> got to put it on burst, just do that because we didn't know where the f we were firing or if we were hitting anything. Because it wasn't like we had like a spotter next to us. It's like that too high, too low. We're just like you're in your scope. I guess. I guess I I saw some 
the backstop go the the you know the bolt you know the backstop kind of like so i guess it went through the target maybe i don't know (laughs) so yeah not absolutely not using the range the way it was intended just putting rounds down range just because and and we and there wasn't any like nobody's running the pits or anything like that so it was just rounds down range and guessing whether you hit it or not (laughs) and they were supposed to have knockdown targets but guess what knockdown targets didn't work huh (laughs) yeah so i tried to avoid uh shooting a bunch of stuff through my rifle because i didn't want to spend half a day cleaning (laughs) anyways some dude with a laser pointer is like on the roof with a ar-15 he the laser pointer like goes onto like one of the 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 dealers and he gets shot and then that gives crockett and tubs like an opening to like tackle the guys that are about to like shoot him or whatever or handcuff them and they're able to like get away and then crockett disarms the door so then they let the, the rest of SWAT in. And there's kind of this fun moment where, like, where, like, Tubbs gets a string because they know, like, there was one guy in a closet. And so, like, they put the string on the door and then, like, Crockett, like, opens the door or just turns the handle so they can open the door without getting, like, fired upon. But then they go in the door and, like, there's, like, a tunnel. And so the guy was able to get away. Well, this, um, is, this had a cool scene, too, because when the guy on the roof with the 1980s laser pointer uh, shoots the uh, one of the bad guys... Crockett gets his gun and it's like a it's like a sawn off browning uh semi-automatic 12 gauge yeah it's like a gun from the 40s or 50s and apparently I guess they didn't have blanks for it or whatever so when he you know grabs the gun and falls back and shoots the other guy it's a gun so powerful the room turns white for a second and then there's a (laughs) shotgun noise and of course the guy's like flipping through the air which is what all (laughs) shotguns do to people remember and it was like Oh, that's a weird like. Hey, what do we got in the, you know, what do we got left in the arsenal that looks scary? And it's like, yeah, it's just a sawn-off semi-automatic twelve gauge from the forties. Like, yeah, cool. But yeah, I thought that was funny. Like they didn't. Apparently, they didn't have blanks for it, so it just like made a special effect. Huh. And then like, yeah, with Switek is like coming up the stairs and he's out of breath. And then Crockett's like telling him, he's like, yeah, and your sniper with the razor, he really saved our butts back there. And Switek's like, we didn't have a guy with a laser. And credits. Yeah, someone have to wear a backpack to power that thing in 1986. <laughs> it was just a clever I- ruse so that the guys could see the laser. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to do that other than just move the scene along. Was that was that a different laser from the one in the, the previous episode of the season? I don't think so. I think it was probably the same one. Just okay. had they had a different housing or something. Okay. So I was wondering um, like where they had it mounted on that AR-15. It's like, how did he sight that in? <laughs> it's it's like kind of off and L to the side. It's like that guy must yeah. have spent a lot of time sighting that thing in. Yeah, that's why I thought it was like, was that a different laser? Because I think the other one was just like a giant tube on top of the yeah. gun or something. Yeah. This one, yeah, it kind of had like a weird offset thing to it. But, but these are just stupid things that I noticed because yeah yeah and then we have yeah come back and like Tubbs and crocker are like putting the squeeze on one of their ci's maybe because he's the one that sold them out or he's just set up the deal that 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 this was that went bad and they, this is where they find out that there's a the, there's a bounty on Tubbs for a million dollars from all they get is calderon he's like calderon's dead and they throw him out a window yeah but it's just like a first floor window so yeah he's blindfolded he thinks he's being thrown out of a multi-story building (laughs) just a first window which you could still break your neck doing that but it was a fun scene and we have a flashback to like the calderon's return episode yeah it's it's like all all a bunch of stuff from that episode you have 
bunch of stuff with Angelina. You also have like flashback to the first episode where Tubbs' brother's being killed and all that. You know, just a lot of contemplative. I don't know, it seemed kind of weird for this episode. It's like you don't really need that filler or that much filler. No. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know those. I imagine you know that shootout scene was pretty. Seemed like it was pretty expensive. So maybe they're just like, we need to cut some budget. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a sex scene that goes on for ten minutes. <laughs> Everyone's interested in 80s TV sex scenes, <laughs> which are just a picture of people's faces, like, grimacing. <laughs> uh, they're advice, and, like, Castillo wants to put them on, like, or he asks them, like, what do you think about protection? And Tubbs doesn't want to be put on, on protection. So, ah, no, I, need, I need to do groundwork. I need to do my job. And so they go back out, and they, like, stop at some food joint on the way to wherever. Yeah, one of the, they keep they keep mentioning that one of the guys in the shootout's still alive, but they never go back to him. Yeah, because as soon as they well, they're going. That's where Crockett and Tubbs are going. But then he gets his the call on his large cell phone in his car to say, "Hell yeah, he's going back into surgery." And it's like, ah, well, let's go to this restaurant. You know, yeah, I'm buying. Which this restaurant, like, they go to it again too. And yeah, Crockett goes inside, and then Tubbs stays out. Uh, Crockett says he's buying, but Tub says he just wants a, a vegan burger, and he's like, I'm not buying. Crockett's like, I'm not buying. That. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> not in this man's country. And then, But then Tubbs gets it taken away at gunpoint. <laughs> they shoot the tires out on the Ferrari. Which I thought was like kind of a, like, yeah, yeah, how are we going to stop us from being chased? Shoot the tires out on the car. Yeah. Which, like, what's revealed later on, like, doesn't make sense. But, like, I imagine if you're cutting to a commercial, it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we come back and, like, Tubbs is like, brought to somewhere where Angelina leads Tubbs to, like, their son. Yeah. Tubbs doesn't know he had. <laughs> and apparently Angelina's been trying to war- warn Tubbs that, like, his half her half-brother, Orlando, is trying to kill him. Uh, Played by John she- Leguizamo in his first TV <laughs> acting appearance. Yeah, yeah, this is like his third thing. Like, I, like, and I was entering Dave Vegas, it's like some Madonna video, some movie called Nick's Blood, and then this for like the next three years. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then he was in like Casualties of War, which that's a pretty, I don't know oh, that yeah. was a big movie, but I think that was a... Uh, I remember yeah, that one. No, that's a known movie. Yeah, because yeah, that was uh, Michael uh, J. Fox was in that, right? Yeah. Is that about the My Lai Massacre? Or something that, like it? Pretty, something like it, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I think that, oh, this is the guy that directed Mission Impossible. Oh. You know, he directed Blowout. Yeah, well, uh, Brian De Palma. Yeah, I think that was a Brian De Palma movie. So I remember that being, I, it was one of the, like, you know, the, the pantheon of, like, Platoon and Full Metal Jacket. Like, Casualty of War is one of the lesser Vietnam movies. But, yeah, I mean, you remember it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's about something, you know, that terrible that happened. Yeah, because like, I think that's basically that's where, like, some guys rape a woman and then they kill her and then they're trying to cover it up. And then Michael J. Fox is, has the courage of his convictions to try to stop it. And then like people are like constantly mysteriously killed and they don't know if it's like Vietnamese forces or their own guys. Yeah. Trying to stop the investigations. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, so is operation linebacker where they bomb the country into like submission. It's like, <laughs> Oh, a village got massacred. It's like, yeah, and 100,000 people got killed in bombing, too. It's like, oh, what are the crimes? Um, you know. But after she tells him, like, Orlando is trying to kill him, the cut to, it's like a night shot. A car pulls up, and they're just dragging some dude behind the car. Uh, yeah, like I said, John Linguizamo's Orlando. A young John Linguizamo. Yeah, 15-year-old John Linguizamo. 
he's like buying some files from some dirty cops or something dirty dea agents <laughs> we know that later but here i'm just guessing like because they don't identify themselves <laughs> oh yeah um, they don't but like in two scenes later it's like oh yeah, dea yeah, yeah. wants to talk to you and it's these two guys yeah um but this just establishes that orlando's a complete psycho yeah. Because they just take the guy they're dragging behind the car and shoot him and like, yeah, he tried too. You guys, you know, you better succeed or this is the price you pay. And I'm sure, you know, in the real world, these guys are like, yeah, let's do business with this guy. We can obviously trust him. And then we have like a 10 minute sex scene flashback sequence uh, between Tubbs and Angelina. Yeah, the whole yeah. like Tubbs impregnates angelina's or you know calderon's daughter and a year later he finds out a kid i was even when i was watching this like i don't remember this for some reason (laughs) this is super contrived but okay tubbs is back at vice explaining the situation it's like yeah they they kidnapped me but they for my own good just (laughs) oh and she also says there's like eight hundred thousand dollars in a suitcase just take it and run oh okay okay i must have missed that because there's a scene that I was like, what the f*** is going on here? Oh, where Switek was talking about. Yes, I had no idea what that was about. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Out of context, it's like, oh, is he having a stroke? What's going on here? Why is he talking like this? Okay, that's funny. I'm thinking about him not knowing that. and like, yeah, what, what, why is this in here? Did they not string thought, the episode together logically? I thought, yeah, I thought they were just filling time. They're like, point the camera at Switek. Let's see what gold he has. Just riff for us, man. Whatever. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, now that scene makes way more sense. Yeah, yeah. It's only briefly said. Like, okay. yeah. I'm sorry there's not a scene where, like, Crockett's like, hey, man, you owe me you owe me $2,000 for those tires. Yeah. <laughs> Take the money, dude. You know how much it's going to cost to replace those tires? Uh, Castillo wants to shove t- Tubbs into a safe house. He kind of, like, capitulates. Crockett also kind of reluctantly congratulates Tubbs on a baby. Yeah. If it's all true and it's actually his. Which they uh, they actually talk about that, too. It's like, do you think it was a scam? And he's like, ah, you know, not until, once I saw the kid, I knew it. Like, it made sense. Yeah, and then we had that spy tech scene that I had no idea what was going on. Which basically he's like... He's basically just like listing the traits of Tubbs as himself, but he's performing it as himself. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good uh, Crockett and Tubbs moments in this because from at the initial shootout scene that establishes the show, it's like, yeah, Castillo's pretty mad at the support team, and and uh, yeah, Tubbs is, and Crockett's like, yeah, he almost lost his best cop today, and and then, <laughs> and then Tubbs is like, yeah, and you almost got shot too, <laughs> you know. It, there was a lot of good like back and forth yeah. stuff in this, which is why yeah, these yeah, two actors work well together. Yeah, it's also like Castillo says like the backup was sloppy, and he like stares a hole into to Switek, like get into shape, Switek. <laughs> Switek, you fat bastard! <laughs> supposed to be a cop here, not. <laughs> Santa Claus, what are you doing? Then Tubbs gets a call from the corrupt DEA agents, like they're trying to like, hey, we need to work together on this, and then basically they sell out Tubbs' location, and then he's like, yeah, meet me here because I gotta do some other stuff, and then they go to Angelina's house, and everybody's taken, uh, including her and the baby. They're, then they're back at Vice, and they're just like waiting by for the demands to get called in, and Orlando tells Tubbs to like go to the location alone. And they have Angelina tied to a car, like rigged with explosives. 
Or like the window and or the horn will set off the explosives. Or they can remotely detonate it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, too. (laughs) But, you know, they take the baby out of the car. The baby's just sitting there waiting to get blown up. And they're like, ah, you know what? Take the baby out of the car. Now, now we've got all these explosives hooked up. Just reach (laughs) on in there across the struggling mother and grab that baby. (laughs) This is where the show gets dumb. (laughs) I mean, mean, just this episode, it's like, ugh, okay. This whole baby uh, thing is not convincing me. They, they do make uh, the point to say like three times, they're like, take the baby to the main house. So, you know, at the end that the baby wasn't. Yeah. Up. Yeah. They like, like write that in there as like, <laughs> make it clear that the baby does not die. Be a little too uh, dark even for us. So we, then we have SWAT, the bomb squad. Or I guess it's not SWAT, but they're called like SRT. Like yeah, those response are the, team or yeah, it's the, the tactical response guys. And so, yeah, they're, everybody's working on a plan. <laughs> then we cut to the police is, like, scoping out the situation. <laughs> you know, they tell Crocker to come alone, and there's, like, got to be, like, 50 guys in this field. With, like, he, you can probably see them for miles. <laughs> yeah, and, and but they can't bring in their boats because the tide's out and they'd see them coming. But you basically have, like, 500 people and the CEO of Chrysler running around <laughs> telling them, yeah, it's, it's, you could do it this way or that way, and... Yeah. yeah, there's a weird like specific thing like the why the shack is there. It's like it's like yeah, this is public land. We didn't let the the private guys come in here and take it over, and they're they're trying to build a hotel and they left the shack there. I guess I should have taken the shack down. <laughs> like, why is this in here? It's like okay, the Iacocca wanted to see. Yeah. So then Tub approaches the car with uh, Angelina in it, and there's like a walkie on the hood. Yeah. And then our land Orlando's on the on the walkie, and he's telling him to come to the shack. And there's like a good like like two minutes where they hold on like Tubbs and Angelina like crying. It's like, well, this is all gonna go bad. Yeah, we know where this is going. Did you sleep with Tubbs? Uh, uh, sorry, honey, your dad. It's it's, it's the rules of the show. <laughs> he won't die by his hand, but you know, Tubbs drives away to the shack, which is just like a little bit away. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, Crockett's like laying down in the back seat. Yeah, dual wielding Mac tens. <laughs> And then, yeah, while well, they go to have like the standoff, the uh, Crockett's in the background. And then Angelina takes it on upon herself to blow herself up. Yeah, it's like, did this guy tub. have sex with you so good a year ago? It's like, <laughs> I'm just going to incinerate myself uh, so he doesn't die. It's like, man, that guy's really laying it down. If that's the case. <laughs> that guy knows how to throw some pipes. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Guy's like, I'm gonna blow up for you. <laughs> yeah, so Crockett pops out and shoots both the bodyguards. Or like- yeah, let me imagine this scene because I when I, when this happened in the show, I actually rewound it. It's like she sets the bomb off. You know, the car explodes like there's like 15 pounds of plastic explosive under it, which is always cool. And then Crockett then after the explosion just pops up. And just starts spraying the area down. It's like, how do you know you're not going to hit tubs? It's like, how's everyone's eardrums not blown? Like, I mean, you're just going to pop up and just start spraying the area down with with a gun that's specifically designed just to spray bullets out. And you're not going to kill your guy. Or it's, it's, it's the whole. This has got so ridiculous. And then it get, then it gets even more ridiculous. Yeah, because so. the rest of the police, which is like the whole police department, by the bombs gone, they all run up to also return fire. At the and then shack. a couple of guys have some grenade launchers that apparently are just filled with nukes. Yeah, I because th- I, I saw that and I was like, it looks like they shot road flares at the cottage. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, did they call in an artillery strike? Like, 
that that building exploded like made a mushroom cloud. <laughs> and we're, and it's led to believe that like you know Orlando just stepped out of the back right before everything within a hundred feet of that shack got blown to vapor and he's fine. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is eighties action and it's, it's yeah. like peak silly. <laughs> yeah. And of course Crockett and Tubbs are fine. Everyone can hear the next day. <laughs> well Tubbs like looking over the, the, the shack and kind of the stress because I think he thinks that maybe I don't know if he thought that he thinks one of these explosions had to have killed the kid because he doesn't know where the kid is. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's what he's thinking. Also, you know, like, you know, Angelina just died. So he's also sad about that. But yeah. Then we have like Crockett gets like a bag of evidence from like the SWAT guys. And then three picks up on the lead that the DEA guys were crooked. And then they go back to that one restaurant because that's where the DEA guys are. And Crockett's trying to like keep them from killing the DEA agents that sold them out. But luckily, as they exit the building, Tubbs just goes like, hey, I want to talk to you. And they just start shooting. Down. Yeah, the DEA guys just open fire. It's like, wait a minute, aren't these guys cops? Wouldn't they know? It's like, you could accuse me of whatever you want to. You don't have any proof. No, we're just going to just start opening fire in public. And Crockett takes out one of them. Yeah, and then Tubbs gets to shoot the other one in the face. With a shotgun. Die, which he either dies from that or he drowns in the river that he drives his car into. I'm surprised they didn't have a crocodile swimming around the car after it crashed <laughs> into the river eating the body. It was just... Oh. This was a very silly episode. <laughs> so they hold a funeral for Angelina and the baby while Phil Collins is playing over <laughs> Yeah, they're playing with Long Way to Go by Phil Collins. <laughs> and and they, yeah, because they have like a baby coffin there and then her coffin closed, yeah. of course, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're probably what they say. They're just burying a sponge. Wasn't that from like speed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so it's yeah, obviously uh, closed. A van pulls up and leaves some flowers. Uh, the, there's an envelope the guy hands off, gets handed it to Tubbs, and there's Angelina's pendant in there because there's some specific point that Angelina has a pendant that Orlando also has. They're like shared, but they were never raised together or anything like that. You know, I had to make very specific things where it's like, no, there's another Carl Darone, but there you go. They're raised separately. So that's why we never knew they existed. So that pendant's in there, and it's also a note that just says that raids, I'll be back. Yeah. And then the Terminator music starts playing. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. no that's not what happens but <laughs> an exciting but uneven season finale yeah i mean there was a lot of like stuff going on but a lot of it was stupid <laughs> yeah. um which was kind of like uh, it was fun but it was like this is kind of like miami vice next season changes a lot so okay uh, well the, yeah because actually i was like pretty disappointed with the season because i was very impressed with the first season yeah. And, and like, I, you know, we didn't, like, you know, I have the showrunner credit and I always gave it to Michael Mann because I, everything I read about it made it seem like Anthony Yerkovic was more of a writer and they got kicked out after or left after six episodes and it was just purely Michael Mann. So I was expecting, like, all right, this is the Michael Mann season. And it's like way more uneven than the first season. I mean, there's a lot of highs, but there's like, like, it's like an EKG show of like highs, lows, and it's just like dead for like six episodes. Yeah. Uh, which I'm guessing might have been because you said that Michael Mann was shooting Manhunter at the same time. Right. This, so he might have not been there to evaluate a lot of the stuff. He might have just trusted the 
probably John Nicolella because he's one of the writer, producers, directors on this series. So, but yeah, I had I had probably like way too high hopes for this season being that I knew that this was the Mike, like the Michael Mann season. But uh, yeah, well from now like on it's the... mainly like um, Dick Wolf, which you know who. Oh that yeah, is. okay. Yeah, this that's, that's the, the guy. He, he guy. is the producer after this season. Okay. So it does change quite a bit. It gets, I mean, it gets a lot more serious and political, like more like ripped from the headlines stuff. I, I mean, my advice really does. I mean, out of all our shows, like weirdly, my advice is the most socially conscious of all the shows. We've yeah. Watched. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, because we're looking at it almost 40 years later, it's like, yeah, this was ahead of its time in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, that's but, uh, Miami Vice season two. All right, and then so for the thing, like we turn what shows are coming back? So we, I mean, we said it last week, but we're definitely gonna bring back Blacklist for season two. Yeah, that was probably the best out of these three for this this season of Verhoeven Affair. Yeah, and then like, are we bringing back season three for The Mentalist? Uh yeah, I I, I want to follow that through. Yeah, we'll give I'll give that another season. <laughs> because it's just like you know because it started off good i was like oh they've definitely improved they kind of hit their stride yeah. and then it's like all of a sudden nope and also i should say like we have arbitrary limits that we don't even know if we hold to but we want to uh so we switch things around we have like a arbitrary limit of three seasons for a show so yeah so like that would be the last season unless unless people write in and want us like no we need you to do more we'll do more if you if you ask us to but yeah Left up to our own our own decisions, we're going to be switching it up. Oh, you'll go crazy just watching the same thing. <laughs> and then for are, are, are we going to do season three of Miami Vice? Yeah. Okay. Because that's the tra- that season three Miami Vice again because I've Miami Vice is something I, I've I've watched a couple many times and it's like yeah that that's when it's going to transform into what it people probably remember more than season one and two. Is oh, you're okay. gonna see that change in Miami Vice, and then it's not worth following up after the season <laughs> four and five. I mean, it's, it's it's a gradual like, yeah, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and it kind of you know, there's nothing new. Season three will be something new, okay. And then uh, and then we'll have you know other stuff. Well, other potential things that I thought of is I heard Person of Interest is kind of like one of those shows where like I've well I've heard people talk about it and it's like and then like it sounds interesting. But I don't know. It's also a person interest has that meme you've probably seen, which makes the show look really stupid. But it's a very famous meme of like of people in a church, and it's like three people like sitting in a pew, each behind the other, holding a gun to each other. And then there's another shot where it's like all of them holding the gun to each other, and then there's a sniper like up in the upper rafters. Oh yeah, of the I've church. seen that. Yeah. So that's person of interest, <laughs> which is basically about like someone making an AI computer that can like track people down but like there's something specific about the program where it's like the computer has no hard memory so it can't really become a true ai and then there's like weird stuff in the in the background where like the computer is actually trying to basically become self-aware but through it through its limitations oh it's like i didn't know that was going on in the show (laughs) yeah we'll have to to check that out uh also there is a (laughs) A MacGyver remake, which I've never seen that. Uh, there's a Magnum PI remake. Nope. Uh, there's all the FBI series. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we have a list of stuff. That was just stuff I was going to bring up. Also, I don't, I don't know if like if we get rid of, you know, next time when we get rid of Miami Vice, do we want to replace it with another kind of like 
classic show or just have more more stuff that we haven't seen so it's more oh, of our well we got to do millennium at some point because <laughs> we can actually do that entire series i think that only lasted three years so yeah yeah it was only three seasons especially seeing the lone gunman it reminds me it's like oh yeah millennium's out there and it was <laughs> tangentially connected to the x-files though not as closely yeah. as the lone gunman but yeah it's yeah it's mostly uh, i i believe the characters have were, appeared in each other's shows but like they didn't really have long lasting effects um also like you know like millennium has something where basically like a worldwide plague kills millions of people in the end of season two and then season three they just like oh never mind that didn't happen <laughs> yeah we changed our minds on that um i think that was i think the third season was like also taken over by dick wolf maybe i can't remember it's taken over by like the west wing people <laughs> okay wouldn't surprise me I'm, but the west wing people that weren't aaron sorkin yeah <laughs> all right well yeah we'll have uh, a break uh maybe or we'll have some stuff we'll bring to you we've been meaning to actually have a special where we actually watch a verhoven a, a uh, paul verhoven movie yeah uh, which i think we're gonna do oh i keep it's like blood and steel or something like that i, I, I flesh I and blood Flesh and blood, that's it. Yep. Uh, we'll we'll bring that to you at some point. So stay uh, tuned. And if you like what you heard, and how can you? You can find us at anchor.fm slash Verhoeven Effect or go to verhoeveneffect.com. It takes you to the same place. You can rate our podcast under a platform of your choice. You can rate us whatever you want, but the only thing it lists, the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. So remember, you control the algorithm. Um, we have listener support at verhoeveneffect.com where you can support this at a monthly stipend of either 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Uh, and like essentially all the money goes to us. Uh, I, I did an experiment where I pulled the money and it, we got a 20 cent like transaction fee. Okay. I don't know if that increases with more money or <laughs> how it works, but it's cause like, I don't know, like, you know, we don't have a Patreon, but I know Patreons are very popular and I was like, how much does Patreon take out of you? And I have no idea, but here it's not that much. Just let you know that the money goes to a good cause of keeping your your podcast entertainment alive. Yeah. And not to the big corporate big wigs of monetary transactions. Yeah. And not to the people uh, that would sue us if they actually paid attention to our show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can both watch that show and this show live and unedited. Uh, and you can get t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>